Hi everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. Hey everybody, welcome back to God's Plan, Your Part. Today we are in Numbers 5 and 6, and I think Jenny is in danger of being on a bad date with God again. (laughs) I'm not on a bad date. I just, it seems kind of confusing to me, and it, a lot of times when I hear the qualifications for whatever it is, if we're talking about figuring out if someone's sinned or not, or the qualifications to apparently take a Nazarite vow, it just seems like they passed a hat around and told everybody to put in some weird ideas, and they just picked five of them, and that's what the qualifications were for those things. Now, so... obviously, they're from God, <laughs> but they are so strange, and I just... I don't get it. We apologize to anyone in the audience that takes these things very seriously. (laughs) I take it seriously too. It's just like, wait, what? Okay, so just to sum this up and then jump into it. Numbers 5 is primarily about, I guess there's some some things about clean and unclean, but primarily what's weird in Numbers 5 is like this special drink that a woman who is accused of committing adultery has to drink. And it does come across as pretty bizarre. And then number six, it feels like I'm just saying number six, numbers six, chapter six, chapter six, uh, is about the Nazarite vow, which there's a lot that goes into a Nazarite vow. And then chapter six ends with a blessing that many of you will find pretty familiar, I think. Um, so let's look specifically at chapter five, uh, Jenny, what's your issue with chapter five? (laughs) (laughs) Again, not issues, just like a little bit of that weird dissonance that I have to like get over, I guess. Um, Just reading the footnotes a little bit. So this is the test of adultery for if a husband is suspicious that his wife basically cheated on him and slept with somebody else. That's the whole thing here. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say it's like, it's basically for like unfounded, unprovable accusations, mm -hmm. basically. Suspicious. Yeah. Um, and he is overcome by the spirit of jealousy. Yeah. So that actually caught my eye. I didn't even say this earlier, but the spirit of jealousy that like makes me automatically think that there's like this looming thing that like overtakes your mind like in a, a way. Spiritual nature. Yeah, to what's going on. isn't that kind of anyway? Mm-hmm. Just a thing. Uh, but she had like the wife that is, I guess, assumed to have done this, like or the they suppose, yeah, yeah, um, gets brought before the priest. They, like, mix up some something. What was it? It's like dust from the floor of the ta- <laughs> the most holy place, I think. Put it into water. Yep, they mix it into water, and then she has to drink it. Well, and not only that, but it's, like, it's pretty intense for the woman. Like, I feel for her, because not only, like, she has to go before the priest, but then, uh, let's see, the priest shall set the woman before the Lord, unbind her hair, and if you read in the footnotes, unbinding their hair is like an act of shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just feels uneasy because this is all based on an accusation. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily truth. So I think that's why it kind of like sat a little uneasy with me. Um, and then these offerings are to be made. And as this woman takes in this drink, it shows that whether or not she is guilty based on whether or not her... Her womb swells and she is unable to have children or if she is still able to have or bear children after. Yeah, there's some people that say this points to like becoming barren. There's other people that say this points to like a miscarriage mm-hmm. um, that, it, that it would cause. It, it's important. I, there's a couple things I want to go over. 
The first one is anytime you read over something that is very odd in scripture. So if you're reading through the Bible for the first time, right here, this will strike you pretty odd. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to allow scripture to interpret scripture. So if you read through this passage and all you know is this passage, you will be in danger of misunderstanding God and his people. It's so, so weird because I feel like I have this like closeness when I'm reading yeah. this. And then when I read passages like this, it's just like, ooh, it, it feels yeah. kind of like turn off. So it's mm. important to remind yourself of what you already know. Mm -hmm. So what we have seen is God is gracious. He's compassionate. He has mercy on people. He does have a standard. There is holiness mm -hmm. always. He's not some boyfriend that's just like, please come back to me anytime. Mm -hmm. That's not God. Hmm. Um, but we also know that we've already seen it, that God has incredible compassion for women above and beyond everything that would have been normal in culture. We've already seen this in the Old Testament. We will see this more and more and more as we go throughout the stories of the Bible. And so if we know that God is gracious and he's compassionate, if we know that God does love women because of all the things that we've seen him do that cause women to stand out, then this passage can't be for shaming women. Um, that's point number one. Point number two is this is, um, it, it seems weird because you're basically like, dragging some woman to a priest and making her drink some magic potion. And then she might miscarry, which is crazy. Um, keep in mind that in these kind of cultures, so in these ancient near Eastern cultures, basically almost everywhere of a husband says, my wife committed adultery, they would kill her. That's it. So it's like husband says, Hey, my wife slept with another man. Boom, dead, done. Here, in this Hebrew culture, there is actually a provision that is set up where the woman can stand before God. Not many people are allowed to even, not many people are allowed to stand before God. This accused woman is allowed to stand before God. And uh, God is going to decide if she is innocent or guilty. So keep in mind, like in a real world way that this would play out, some husband accuses his wife. Well, they know that this is the process. So like if you did it, you can confess mm -hmm, that sin. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can go through the, the offerings and forgiveness and all those kinds of things. If you didn't do it, you know that your life cannot be demanded of you and you get to go stand before God. So this is God being gracious to women in situations where normally they would be taken advantage of and oftentimes killed for no reason. So there is redemption for her, even if she does do it. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I would go. Well, yeah, I guess there, there could be redemption. I mean being judged before God seems not great. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if that's what you had just said, because you said you like go through the process of like, what, what I'm saying is God is creating a law that allows women a chance to be defended by him. That is crazy unique for innocence, for innocence. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And because this is like a pretty wild thing, there's, there's a pretty clear call to repent before we even get to this point. Um, a natural question that you had is what's the deal with the guy? What happens to the guy? The guy would have been judged as well. It's just that this is specifically specific about the, to the innocence woman. of the woman. Exactly. So you read this weird passage. It might strike you as odd, but what I would encourage you to do is read and reread it and see how much it actually pulls out the importance of the innocence of the falsely accused woman, mm -hmm. particularly in a culture that would not be used to this or aware of this kind of grace and compassion to women. So it is weird. There's well, no think, question. I think something too, just kind of talking about that 
when I think of situations like this, if they are drawing light to it, my mind instantly goes to the, like, if she was wrong or if she did do said thing. Yeah. But this is actually not calling that out as much as it is the innocent Correct. part. And my mind instantly goes the other direction, like, very naturally. So if a woman in any other culture knew she was being falsely accused, she, she would almost certainly anyway. be punished and mm -hmm. she had no chance. Mm -hmm. If a woman in God's people is falsely accused, she knows she can go stand before God and God will find her mm -hmm. innocent. Mm -hmm. And then, like, what a fool her husband is. So keep in mind, too... These are real people living real lives. So that priest is going to be like, what the heck, man? Like, mm -hmm. stop accusing your wife and dragging her out here. We need to we need to deal mm -hmm. with you now. Mm -hmm. The spirit of jealousy. Because false accusations are very serious before God. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen that in Leviticus, that you are not allowed to falsely accuse somebody. So there, it's a weird passage, no question. But if you actually, like, think through it and, like, allow scripture to interpret scripture allow what you know about God to interpret the passage, you will see that this is actually about allowing a woman to be found innocent, not mm -hmm. guilty. Mm -hmm. So then in chapter six, we get a lot about a Nazarite vow. Uh, Jenny, when we read over chapter six, it seemed like this was striking you as kind of odd as well. It struck me a little goofy because I wasn't sure what it was actually talking about. So at first I thought it was talking about another way to like atone for sins. And then I realized that this was actually just like a way to set someone apart. Uh, there's a lot of rules, regulations into what they have to do to be set apart for. Um, I guess like this, I don't know, commitment to, commitment to what? To God. Yeah. Just like it, overall. It's just okay. like a called okay. out, set apart commitment to um, God. But then I read in the footnotes, which mm -hmm. are super helpful, uh, some well-known Nazarite vow individuals <laughs> would have been uh samson who we will see coming up doesn't do great but his life was dedicated to anyway his beautiful it's hair interesting well i That's... mean it does talk about the hair yeah anyway, it does uh samuel and then john the baptist later on in the new testament which makes sense because he was wild yeah they like were fully like they were living lives fully set apart for their entire lives. It was not normal for people to take Nazarite vows for their entire lives. Uh, many, many people would have taken them for portions of their lives. Yeah. There's an interesting thing in the language. The Hebrew word that gets used for the high priest's crown uh, is the same Hebrew word used for the Nazarite's hair, mm -hmm. um, which calls out how set apart this person is. And I see it as like a pretty cool opportunity. Like you could, you could look at God, um, in Leviticus in numbers and be like, wow, only the Levites get to do things set apart by God. That's kind of weird. Not if you dedicated yourself, but Nazarites did it all the time. Yeah. Um, some of this is a little bit lost to us, but I do think a little bit, this is probably like, there's probably many errors in this comparison, but I think about, um, I, I just think about like students that graduate high school and they're like, you know what? I'm going into missionary service for three years. Yeah. And that's like, to me, it's very similar. Obviously there's differences. Um, but it's, it's basically making a conscious decision to be set apart on behalf of God for a set period of time. That's the idea of the Nazarite vow. And is Nazarite, cause when I first read it, it made me think of like a, like a specific tribe or people group, but it's it's not that. It's actually just if you choose to set yourself apart for God or consecrated to God's yep. service. Yep. You abstain from alcohol, let your hair grow, and avoid defilement with contacting 
corpses. Dead things. So when Samson starts eating uh, honey out of dead beasts... Samson's a terrible Nazarite. Gross. He's so weird. <laughs> Samson is a terrible, terrible Nazarite. But it is interesting because this whole thing about no razor shall touch his head. Right. That's so cool. I mean, immediately my mind went to Samson. Yep. And then, ew, at the end of their time, like their committed time, they have to like cut their hair off and put it on the altar. They burn it on the <laughs> altar. Yeah. Ew, do you imagine how gross that smells? Yeah. <laughs> so then we end with Aaron's blessing that is probably used in many churches many Sundays. I love it. Um, it always like reminds me of Mercy Me. They used to have a, a song that like sang this part and I read over it today. I was like, what? It's right there. Okay. And it's like, I feel like after all the confusion I had from the <laughs> the previous chapter and this chapter, it was kind of nice to end on that little high note. I was like, oh, I know that part. <laughs> so I think a great your part today is actually like a little bit Bible nerdy scholarship based. Um, it's those bullet points that I said earlier, like anytime you come up against something that is confusing in scripture, allow what you know about scripture to interpret what is confusing about scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, I think point two is allow what you already know and believe to be true about God to help you understand what you see in a difficult passage. So if you know, God is gracious and merciful and loving, but also holy, what does that mean when we apply it to numbers chapter five? And if you are joining us today, if today is your first episode, uh, it's probably going to be one of those weird oh, man. couple of chapters that you're going to want a little bit more context for that by listening true. to um, from, I mean, the beginning, really. If you don't know anything about the Bible and you're like, huh, let's see what this is all about. Let's <laughs> click this link. Sorry that this is the first time you clicked oh, this link. Yeah. I do believe the Lord probably led you to do it. So I'm asking you to stick around, uh, continue to be drawn closer to God through his word. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our take on God's word. Stick around and listen to the word uh, on the second part of the podcast. Before we get in there, uh, we just want to remind you, you can connect with us at any time on social media and YouTube at God's Plan Your Part. Also, we are a listener supported podcast. So if you ever want to help us out with the ministry that we're doing, uh, you can do that by clicking the link in our description. And now here's the reading for today. Numbers chapter five. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out the camp of everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that the people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement, with which atonement is made for him. And every contribution, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they shall bring to the priests, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priests shall be his. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected though she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, 
since she was not taken in the act. And if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife, though she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest and bring the offering required of her, a tenth of an ephah of barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and unbind the hair of the woman's head and place in her hands the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. But if you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself, and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse, and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among the people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell, may this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and wash them off into the water of bitterness. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings the curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand and shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial portion and burn it on the altar and afterward shall make the woman drink the water. And when he has made her drink the water, then, if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain, and her womb shall swell, and her thigh shall fall away, and the woman shall become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. This is the law in cases of jealousy when a wife, though under the husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man, and he is jealous of his wife. Then he shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall carry out for her all this law. The man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate him herself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation no razor shall touch his head. Until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or his mother, for his brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. 
And if any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head at the same day, and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation, and bring a male lamb a year old for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void, because his separation was defiled. And this is the law for the Nazarite. When the time of his separation has been completed, he shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and their green offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord, and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering, and the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take the hair from his consecrated head, and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram, when it is boiled, and one unleavened loaf out of the basket of the unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved the hair of his consecration, and the priest shall wave for them a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest, together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows the offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you a peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.